Proverbs has a lot to say about that. And I was trying to figure out how to, to best put this together. And so I'm going to suggest to you that I am intending to put a, uh, use a lot of scriptures. And uh, if you're taking notes, you might decide just to write the scriptures, the numbers down rather than a lot of information at that point, And you'll have it to go back over later. Um, in the way of an introduction, let's go back to chapter 1 of, of Proverbs. And I, I know that we've gone over this a few times, but it, you have to remember that without this, the rest of it doesn't come together. So, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, starting with verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. And by the word, the, the, the idea of instruction here is discipline and training as well. It's, it's, the, it's almost like mentoring and hands-on is implied into, into this word. So, to know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction uh, in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give uh, prudence to the uh, to the simple, knowledge and dis, uh, discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the idea here, of, of uh, so that you understand the distinction, is those who fear the Lord, we're not talking about fearing the Lord and trembling in the sense of, of, of afraid, but fear the Lord in the sense of awe of who He is, what He has done, is doing, and is going to do. And so being sometimes even overwhelmed about who he is and what he's going to do. And desiring to grow an understanding of that. So we, we come in the idea of this fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, if you don't have that fear of God in the sense of knowing him, and it comes with the idea of establishing a relationship with him as well. If you don't have that, then you're not going to have uh, acquire the knowledge that you want to acquire. People can read the Scriptures and walk away, for lack of better words, unblessed. Uh, it, they can walk away thinking they understand it. They think they, they put it together. They have their own ideas about it. But without coming to understanding first the fear of God and the necessity of that, having the Holy Spirit in them, receiving the Lord, the Word is simply a book. And, there's, uh, and so it is something that you just have to look at and realize that uh, it's an essential part of the, the understanding. So to understand these Proverbs, we have to start there as well. The fear of the Lord, being in awe of who He is and what He's telling us and desiring to have knowledge and understanding, calling on the Holy Spirit to assist us. So let's do that right now. Father, we come this morning as we open Your Word and ask that through Your Holy Spirit You'd open our hearts and our minds to receive from Your Word this morning. Uh, to, to grow from where we are to, to, uh, to understand You better, to know You more, to love You more. And uh, we confidently put this in Your hands and ask that You would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Coupled with Proverbs 1, uh, 2 uh, through 7, is Proverbs 9, uh, verse 10, which is the verse that talks about uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And so, to be wise in the sense of, of, of the world is one thing. But to be wise in the sense of God, it again comes with the, this idea of the fear of the Lord, being in awe of who He is and what He's doing. Uh, we have all sorts of wise people in the world as far as literature goes. I remember taking a European literature class when I was in college. I fell in love with some of the stuff that I thought I would never pick up and read. Uh, my uncle would have been thrilled. He was, he's a, uh, had a doctorate in Shakespearean literature and he would have been blown away that I was even interested in uh, some of that at that point because some of his gifts as I was growing up were books about Shakespeare and I don't know that I ever read any of them. Um, so, uh, but that, it was the right teacher at the right time. He had great wisdom about that, but it was interesting. There were some areas where some of these European and especially older uh, books going back into the 15, 16, 1700s dealt with Scripture. And his interpretation of, this, of these things were just as part of a book. He, never, he didn't see any really great depth or spiritual meaning to them. And so, uh, I, I, as I'm going through college, I, I'm not a Christian at the time, there was no benefit to me either. But uh, the idea was, is that with the Holy Spirit, we begin to understand. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes. At some point, God comes along and He, and he opens our eyes and you start to read Scripture and you're seeing things that you've never seen before, you didn't understand before. And it's just an amazing experience. So, dealing with Proverbs, uh, there's a, a pastor and author, uh, Sam Storms, uh, who uh, says... He says, Proverbs are simple illustrations which expose and expound upon fundamental or basic uh, realities of life. In other words, they're, just, they're, they're things that expose and look at the realities of life and put them in very concise, short phrases. It's not great expounding or anything like that. And uh, ways to remember things about God. And, and it's the general observations concerning life. Uh, we need to understand as we approach this, we're not talking about law when we're talking about Proverbs. We're not talking about absolute promises or absolute guarantees. For instance, raise up a child in the way he, she, he should go and he, he will stay with it basically. Okay? How many of us maybe have experienced in our lifetime where, uh, or seen where a child is raised up in all that is Christian, all that is right, and, and yet they never come to the Lord? Okay, somebody will turn around and say, see, Proverbs isn't true. No, Proverbs is right in a general context. So we're not to look at Proverbs as absolute promises, but a general look at life and realize, by the way, we will be accountable as to whether we raised our children accordingly before the throne of God. I really believe that. So, uh, understand that we need to, to be active on that part of it. And uh, so, again, we have the idea of Proverbs dealing with the things of life in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, we, As we look about... Today, we're going to look at the idea of wealth and poverty. And, and, and we're, there's a whole, gosh, I, I don't know how to say it. 
there is so much in here. By the way, are you aware that in Scripture, how you use your resources, your, 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 the money, the things that God provides you with, but primarily speaking of wealth and, 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 and financial resources, there's over 2,000 Scriptures uh, in other areas of our doctrine, there's a lot less Scripture some, in some cases. How we use our resources and our money is important to God. And so we need to get that a hold of that in our mind and say this is one of the things that God has given us as a blessing and as a resource, and we're accountable to Him as to how we use our res- the resources He's given us. Uh, Proverbs addresses several issues uh, about uh, contentment. Are we comp- content with the things that God has provided us with? Uh, it, it talks about greed. It talks about how we should be giving. It talks about uh, hope and trust. What do you place your hope and your trust in? Uh, honesty and integrity in reference to finances. And that comes down to dealing with wages, for instance. Being honorable as an employer and, 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 and honorable as an employee, for that matter, too. Uh, but the buying and the selling of things, uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, humility versus uh, pride, uh, hard work versus being lazy. All of these things are addressed in Proverbs in reference to how God blesses with resources to live. And like I said, remember the basic starting point is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. And and that's basically the theme that we're working with here. And if you don't start here, you're seeking of understanding of the wealth and and, and how God wants to, to use it in your life will be difficult to see. Now, Matthew 6.24, you're probably really familiar with it, but it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I know that some of the other versions say mammon, but that's what mammon is, money. Okay, so you can't, you can't serve both. And what it's all basically saying is that who, who, what is first in your life? It's not that it... And I want you to make sure you understand it. Nowhere are we going to say where God says it's, not, it's wrong to have wealth. In fact, God's the one that, that, that gives wealth. Okay? Now, how you use it is, is the issue. And how it owns you or is a tool for his ministry and his work is, is what is at stake here. Uh, Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, very familiar verses to, to many of you, I'm sure. And, and so we have that picture. Uh, and, and so I put down here for myself, so is having money wrong, and I just answered that a minute ago. Uh, you will see that Scripture warns against trusting in riches not possessing them. Our focus today, uh, I, I, I got this out of a series of quotable quotes from, for Christian you know, 
illustrations. Uh, Money makes a good servant, but a terrible master. The riches of wisdom and knowledge are greater than money. We don't normally put those things like that. We work day to day. The majority of the people that I know uh, don't have great uh, resources in depth of, of, of financial resources. Uh, if you were to lose your job for a year or more uh, in, in the United States, most everybody would be devastated. Uh, it's, it's difficult to, to, to make it. And as we get older and we live on, on less, I think the, the one statement used to be, I heard it way back when I was even in college, was uh, you, you work 40 years to retire and live on 40% of what you couldn't make it on before. Yeah, and uh, but the idea is that you know money's something that's that we it's difficult, and I don't know about you, but I've had a, my occasional daydream about what it would be like to to have a, a large resource of, of of money at my disposal. Uh, at one point in my life, I actually thought I probably would, and uh, was quite surprised when uh, my sister and I were cut out of the will. And so it was, uh, uh, you know, you just look at it. My, my mom was the survivor and she was afraid that my sister would flitter it away and that I would give it all to God. <laughs> and she, I think she was convinced I was in a cult. But, uh, I mean, he, went, he goes to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. and oh. So she never quite got it. But, but anyway, um, and I have to say at one point I was a little bit disappointed. But I realized that wasn't really her control. If God wanted me to have that, I would have had it. I really believe that. So do I trust that God is sovereign and in control and prepared to meet me where I am and, and, and take care of my needs according to His purposes? And for the testimony and the witness, He wants my life, my wife's life, my family's life to have within the framework of where we live in the community that we're in. And that's not always easy. I know it. And I look at all of you, and I know that there's probably times when all of you have struggled with it as well. Uh, and this goes to health issues and all sorts of other things that become part of our testimony as to how we see God and, and witness to others. But it is interesting that Peter says, be prepared to give a testimony when somebody asks, I don't know how, and I'm putting it in the vernacular for me, I don't know how you got through that. Well, without God, I don't think I could have. Be prepared to share what God is doing. And it's amazing what seeds you might be planting. You never know. So, here we are looking at, 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 at the, the riches of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, going back to that phrase, are greater than money. In Proverbs chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 5, uh, read these uh, verses. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, with you making, your, uh, excuse me, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, 
then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What he's saying is, is that, yeah, again, this idea that, that searching for this is more valuable than searching for silver and gold. To come to know God, to spend the time to know Him, to make sure that that's a part of your, your life's routine is extremely important. Uh, it's better than working a couple of extra hours a week overtime to spend time with God. Uh, don't lose that priority. Find that time to do it. Make it a part of your daily life to spend some time in the Word of God and, and asking the Holy Spirit to open your heart and your mind. In Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 15, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver. By the way, the her is wisdom. Uh, as you go through, you'll see that, that wisdom is personified as a woman. And uh, foolishness is also personified as a woman, but an adulterous one. Uh, so, the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So, nothing that we desire compares with the wisdom that God has for us in His Word. Nothing. And I'm thinking, there's a lot of things that are really cool. You know? Uh, and I'm thinking of, the, of my lifetime. I've, I've owned a few of them. And, and they were fun to have. They were, uh, you know, uh, you know and I, and I, and I, but none of that compares to knowing who God is and seeking Him first. In chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire uh, cannot compare with her. So again, just uh, emphasizing this thing. Whether it's jewels or gold or silver, none of it compares to the wisdom that God has to share with us. And this wisdom isn't just how to live life here, but it's how to live life with knowing who God is and what He, again, has done, is doing, and is going to do. Uh, we could go on with uh, Proverbs verses, uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 16. Uh, now, let's just go ahead and look at it. Verse 15, 16. Chapter 15, verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. What he's talking about is wealth. Better is a little bit of wealth coupled with the fear of the Lord than to have a tremendous amount of wealth and all the trouble that goes with it. I recall having someone share with me, you know, uh, you have no idea the responsibility of being a, a Christian and dealing with wealth. And he was right. Uh, but it, what is interesting is wealth is relative. Wealth to this person was, we're talking millions. Wealth to me may be tens or hundreds or thousands. But I'm still just as responsible for what I do with my little. And so, 
to have my little with the fear of the Lord is better than to have the wealth without knowing who God is. There's the old saying, and we'll probably look at it at some point this morning, but the, you know, there's, there's, you don't see any U-Hauls attached to the uh, hearse going to a funeral. Um, now, I do know that there have been people that are very eccentric who passed away and were buried in their Cadillacs and buried in other things, but they're all still there rusting away and whatever. It's, 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 it's not going to do any good. All the, all the pharaohs that were buried with their treasures to have in the afterlife uh, are now, well, if they want them, they're going to have to visit them in the museums uh, or in people's private collections. And, of course, we know they can't, so it didn't do them any good. Uh, you can't take it with you is what it boils down to. Uh, and uh, 1616 is, is one more I wanted to look at in this category. Um, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather... Uh, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And so, again, just over and over and over. This is just a few of the many Scriptures in Proverbs. And there's more if you start to look at, at other parts of Scriptures. We can get into James. We can get into other Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, other places that talk about how to use your resources and your responsibility with it. And so, this is just a picture. And I guess what I'm hoping I can establish this morning more than anything else is the value God puts on wisdom, godly wisdom, scriptural wisdom, and the need to pursue it. And the only way to pursue it is coming to Him and understanding He is the sovereign God and hold Him in awe and respect. And, 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 and you know, not that casual, even though we are allowed to be intimate with Him, not the casual, oh, the man upstairs attitude but to hold Him in reverence always. Kind of a side note. Uh, I, I had a question mark as to here as to whether I was going to use this or not, but I, I, I want to, to use it. You know, what are you willing to do to get ahead? And, and I, I, I thought the, the one thing that hit me was one particular situation that uh, I was indirectly involved in when I worked in, southern, in, in the Bay Area for a large corporation. And uh, there was an opening that came up and several of us were considered for it. I, have no, I had no idea at the time of how glad I am now that I did not get it. Looking back, I could see, you know, first off, Kathy and I had discovered shortly after that 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 uh, we didn't we found out we weren't city folk, <laughs> and we had the, the first opportunity we had to work for the same corporation, but out into the into well it was Paradise, California, 1973. Uh, so it was uh, just we were blessed. We didn't even know it. Uh, but but I'm thinking of the guy who who got the job, and he was already a higher up in the in the corporation. He knew the job was coming down the line a long time before it came. And so he started preparing for it. He knew that, that the corporation that we worked for valued education. 
And he, he had a bachelor's degree, but he knew if he had a master's degree in economics or marketing, it might be a shoe-in for this job. And this was a stepping stone job. It would take him possibly to the, to the Midwest, to the, the head corporate offices. And uh, so uh, he went after it with, a, with just everything that he had. He spent a lot of his time uh, at work and at home trying to get it going. And one of the things was he was taking some classes at, at school and stuff like that. And in order to get done in time, he had to have a thesis for his master's. And uh, he wrote a phenomenal thesis. And turned, you know, the, the, turned it in and he got this amazing recognition. And the corporate people saw that and, on, and, and said, okay, you've got the job. And uh, it turns out he bought his thesis from, from a small college back east. That was on the, you know, there's, there's places anybody can go. If you really want to get a thesis, all you have to do is put the feelers out there and you'll find a place to buy one. And you can even buy an A, a B, or a C. Now, it depends on, on, on how much you want to pay and, and how good you want to look or you want to keep it in your realm of where your grades, you know, spread is. And it's amazing. I, did, I, I was aware of, of an underground for that. I had no idea. But this guy, uh, call him Carl, that's not his name, uh, he, he, he did this. And what happened was the corporation published part of his thesis in, a, in, the, public, in the corporate magazine. And some guy from the back east said, wait a minute, those are my words. And he got a hold of them and proceeded to put together a lawsuit for plagiarism. And, and, uh, and they... Uh, what do they call it? Uh, copyright violations. And uh, Carl not only lost his job with the corporation that we were working for, but it was, back then you, you could do this in the, in the early 70s. He was blackballed, is what they call it. He couldn't get a job with anybody. He ended up selling Toro lawnmowers in Toronto. Now, I have to admit that I laughed gleefully, along with several other people. But the idea is, is that what are you willing to do to get ahead? How and, and does it have to be a big thing like Carl did? What about just just pushing the, the envelope a little bit? Well, we'll get to that in just a second. Proverbs, there's a number of them. I'm just going to look at, at, at uh, just one this morning, just for the sake of time. But Proverbs chapter 11, uh, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. In other words, Riches can't get you saved. Riches can't get you into heaven. Only righteousness can do that. And you can't even get righteous on your own. You need God to do it. And so, again, we come back to, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, and you're going to get tired of hearing that today, 
it's, it's, it's not going to work. And so here's that picture of, of riches won't stand in judgment. They're not going to give you any leadway and any headway. Think about having all the stuff that you might want here and now for the lifespan of, of let's just give, be generous and say 80 years. Now, some are going to live longer than that. You know, I, my grandfather was, lived to be 94. I have an, a great, great, great aunt that lived in the, into the early 100s. Uh, I think it's on Kathy's and my family tree both. Uh, but uh, it was uh, just, you know, you look at that and say that was a rare situation. But just say 80 years of, of having anything and everything that you want. Compared to eternity, which we can't comprehend. As, as, as much as we study the Word of God, we can start to be more and more and more amazed about what is coming our way in the sense of heaven and eternity. Uh, Randy Alcorn has some great books and DVDs. I recommend him. Uh, it's, they're enjoyable to watch and they just blow you away. The one phrase I keep remembering is, you haven't tasted your favorite fruit yet. You know, it's just... Uh, this idea of, of, of there's so much more ahead of us. And it's going to go on and on and on. And even after we've been there 10,000 years, I'll start singing a song here in a minute, uh, it, it'll only begin, be like we just begun. Isn't that amazing to think about? And so that's what God is trying to prepare us for. We blew it with our sin, but He came back and redeems us and opens the door. To eternity. And he says, this is what has value to it. And so we look at this and, and we realize uh, seeking God is the thing that we need to be doing. A couple of more areas in the sense of, of, of giving and ministry. Uh, and Proverbs, going back to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Now, this is an interesting phrase, this idea of withholding good from those to whom it is due. Due according to who? According to God's Word. There are certain people who your giving and your goodness and your going, you know, uh, sharing is the proper thing to do because God's Word says do it. And so it's do them. We're looking at it from our side, not that person. The person doesn't necessarily sit out there and say, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me. You know, uh, We see a few people on street corners and stuff like that that say you know, uh, hard luck stories and stuff like that. But, but there's far more people in need than those few that you see out there. And some of them I've, I've actually... We've, I, I know I've talked with some people about some of the people that we've come across over the years that we find out weren't in need at all. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of sad that that's a way they chose to supplement their income. And I say supplement. And, uh, and some of them fairly substantial. But, but the other side of it is there's people out there with legitimate needs who are suffering. And people say, how do you know the difference? Well, I'm going to come back to... If you fear the Lord you know, and, and, and are studying the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is working within you, I believe that you will have a discernment 
Now, what happens if I give to somebody and, and, and I've driven some of the elders crazy with this because I tend to be liberal uh, in giving and, and they'll say, you know, that guy has been hitting every church in town and stuff like that. And I said, well, well, you know, uh, I'd rather err on the side of generosity and liberality than to err on the sense of withholding the purse. And Scripture stands with that, by the way. So I'm not saying I'm super scriptural. All I'm saying is there are people that have needs and God's calling us to, to, to meet them. He says it is what we are supposed to do. And I don't believe that you're you know, called to minister to every person on every street corner or anything like that. But I sense that we should be praying even to, as the day begins. Lord, if there's someone that, that brings across my path that has a need that I can minister to, that you want me to minister to, open my eyes that I could see them like you see them. By the way, God does that. And it's an ex- it, it becomes an exciting part of your life to see how God uses you in such simple little ways and with such little sacrifice and, and minister to someone and lift them up. In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, uh, I went looking for it and I had it marked. Uh, chapter 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, to, uh, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith is by by itself, if it is... So also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. Now, what James is using is just one picture of an illustration. Faith is an active thing, is what he's trying to come across here. But the idea is, if someone has a need and you have the resources within you to meet that need, and you just offer them a a prayer of blessing, James says, what good is that? The person was hungry or they needed a coat or they needed a jacket or they needed something. And I'm thinking about it as I, I recall my uncle giving uh, a jacket uh, on a rainy day as he was walking home from work and, and, and thinking, that was, that was weird. You know, of course, I'm about 10 years old at the time. And so he took me over to the closet, opened the closet door to his 15 jackets or whatever was in there, you know. And he said, and that guy had none. He learned that from my, from my grandmother, his mother. Whenever she went shopping, she went in a particular route and with her little cart coming behind her, she bought extra groceries to hand out to the the people on the street. And there was quite a few sometimes during the Depression and other times. But there was even during the 50s and 60s when I was growing up that and, and, you know, my aunt and my mom wouldn't go shopping with her because they were embarrassed. Uh, But that was my aunt. And and as a result, I've tended to be somewhat like that. You know, I, I, again, it's better to err that way than and, and, and to minister. So, you know, uh, 
this idea of, of, of being prepared to meet the needs. Um, there's, there's so many more scriptures. Uh, Proverbs 19.17 Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And He, the Lord, will repay Him, the lender, for His deed. And I'm, again, taking this from, uh, from another writer here. It says, the, w- the word generous actually means gracious and refers less to the amount given than to the attitude and manner in which the gift is given. By sympathetic and understanding, uh, don't humiliate the needy and make him feel like he's uh, forever in your debt. In other words, you treat him with grace. You don't embarrass him in a public way. Uh, you know, the idea of, of and, and, you know, shaking, shaking somebody's hand with a bill in your hand and, and just, you know, whatever. Just making it subtle. You know, whatever you can to, to make, it, make them understand you care, but you're not trying to embarrass them. Uh, there was a, a church that didn't think about it that way. They... In order to get a gift, you had to be at the service, sit through the service, and and uh, what that you know caused turmoil sometimes in the service uh, because the person didn't look like part of the club, uh, and uh, you know different things, people staring and whatever. Uh, and it's not a wrong thing. Sometimes people want to do that, or we have people sit in the back and, and listen to the service, and some of them may be just going to the service in order to what to get the handout. But you know what? Our refrigerator has food in it. We have some bags in the, in the closet over here uh, that are, are ready to go for people. And uh, we, we have a, a modest fund to, to help along the way if we need to. And uh, it is interesting that, that there are occasions where I've been told uh, that our phone number has been found underneath underpasses and and stuff like that as to, you know, soft touch or whatever. But, but the idea is, is that we are, when we can, we minister to these needs. Um, there's an, uh, other talk, scriptures. Uh, Matthew chapter, or Proverbs chapter 22 talks about how we share our bread with the poor. Uh, Proverbs 28, 28 uh, how we hide. Uh, uh, well, let's look, I want to look at 28. Uh, chapter 28 of Proverbs, verse 27. Whoever gives to the poor uh, will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. I wrote next to my thing here, scary. Read that again. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. God will meet your need. If you give to the poor, God's not going to let you go without what you need. Now, he's, there's other scriptures that talk about being within your means 
and God's provision and a lot of other things. So don't we don't just make an assumption. Somebody says, "Oh, I need a hundred bucks," and you, you're capable of giving them twenty. You know, but you fish them out hundred, a hundred. Now are going with that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is is being sensible about it within the framework. Though it says if you have that willingness, the desire to be used of God to meet the needs around you, God's going to meet your needs. But he who hides his eyes, see, this is a willful disobedience. I don't want to see. I don't want God to open my eyes to these people. I don't want to have anything to do with it. That's the attitude that it's referring to here. And if you have that attitude, it's, it's talking about curses on you. Uh, and I looked at that and I said, whoa, I had never read that particular verse before in that context. I just never got it until last night. And I'm thinking, oh, interesting. Now, by the way, I want you to understand that, that this sharing that we're talking about, this ability to give and meet the needs of those around us, it's more than money. It may be time. It, God may, may call you. You may have a really gracious gift and, and ability to minister to people who are shut-ins. God wants you to use that. So it's not just your wealth is bigger than your money, is, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Kind words, a hug. It's amazing the things that will go a long, long way in making, helping somebody get through a day. And sometimes it comes back to you that you actually find out you did, and most of the time you'll never know, but it doesn't matter because you're at peace with, with, with God because you know God's used you. This is beyond what you give to church is what I was trying to get at. I was starting to go. This is this has nothing to do with your giving to the church. Uh, it and and I, I put not excused for meeting, uh, you know, uh, random needs. In other words, you can say, well, I gave at church, so I don't have to do this, or I did this, so I don't have to give to church. God does not intend to mix those two things together. Your giving to church is a separate issue. And as soon as you get into that, you, you, you know, people say, well, okay, now here he is. He's now going to really meddle. Okay, I am going to meddle this much. Deuteronomy chapter 16, there's a verse in there. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord, your God, that he has, uh, the blessing that he has given you. Okay, now, it's speaking of a special offering within the framework of the feasts and stuff that they did. So, but I see that as a principle. To give as God has made it possible for you to do. Somebody's going to say, is a tithe really 10%? I didn't invent the word. Uh, and yeah, it's really 10%. I do believe that that's a principle in giving. Somebody says, well, we're not under the law anymore. Well, the principle was established long before the law. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham gave a tithe to the type of Christ called Melchizedek. Jesus is the high priest of the, of the priesthood of Melchizedek. It's a priesthood separate from anything of earth. 
I'm not going to get into all the details of that, but you can find it out as you go through Hebrews and, 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 and other places. We went through this just a couple of, of weeks ago in our Bible study. But the, the, uh, the idea is, is that the tithe is, is, is something that you figure out and work out within the framework of your family and your giving, and it's a consistent reflection of what is coming in and, and going out. The, the 10% is what Abraham gave to Melchizedek. And it was no small chunk of change because of what he had just received in the sense of, of victory and the spoils of war. Uh, so there is a principle there. Does that mean that you're all going to, if you don't give a tithe, you're, you're under some kind of curse or something? No, that's not it. What I suggest is I go back to what I read in Deuteronomy. As you are able with what God has given you, sit down and pray and ask God, what is it that I can share out of what I have? And all of us, I don't care who you are, should be doing so with the intent to increase your giving a little bit as you can. And then there will be a time in your life when all of a sudden your, your giving might be less because everything has changed. That happens. We retire, our, change, our incomes change, all these different things. Uh, but the idea is, is that you are to, this is a prayerful thing that you need to be doing with the Lord. And, and it's not just haphazard. It's not, you know, I remember when I started understanding the idea of giving and I was thinking, okay, this word tithe, I went to, well, I went to the pastor and I asked him, how do you, how do you give? Now, I found out as I asked the pastor and other elder and a couple of other people that have been in church all their lives about their giving, how to do it, I got multiple answers. Okay? And one of them says it's 10% of the gross. The other one said it's 10% of the net. One of them said it's, it's uh, it, you know, they took it literally like the, the Pharisees did, if I if, uh, of my crops, of my of my my uh, herbs, uh, uh, somebody gives me a car, all these things, and so you sit there and you just realize it comes back to I think Deuteronomy what it says: as you are able to give, sometimes you are able to give more than the base that you've established, then God is going is, is going to require that of you, and He's going to put you in situations where that can happen. But at other times, you, you, you might have to go through seasons in your life where it's just the base. And sometimes you might even have to adjust that. God isn't, I, I don't believe he's an accountant sitting here going, you know, and as, as much as he's looking at your heart and your attitude and your mental reflection on wealth. This is a gift from God. And he requires some of that. So, well, why does God require anything back? He's already got all the, the everything. He owns everything. In fact, He owns what's in our wallets. He owns what's in our bank vaults or our whatever those boxes are called. I can't think of it right now. Uh, saving safety deposit boxes. He owns He owns our homes. He owns our cars. If we're honest about it. Okay, so we we realize He is a sovereign over all of that. And He's blessed us with those things. And so, as we look at it, God provides us the opportunity to participate in the work of the kingdom by being a part of it. Part of it is the giving. Part of it is the, 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 the time of giving. You know, giving of time and other aspects. The, the, 
we are a blessed people. Do you realize that the God of all creation has this plan about how to reach the world and he's invited us to participate in it so that we can share in the joy, the excitement of what happens when somebody comes to the Lord, somebody's baptized, uh, all uh, you know, these types of things. It's, it's, it, we're, we're invited to participate in that. We should look at that as a great joy and excitement. And so... That's the way God has chosen to do it because he knew that that would make us more intimate with what? Him and his word and our involvement and and our participation in the sense of how close we are to it. And so we're a part of it and and God wants us to share in that. Uh, So I just look at it, I, I, I put it with a little asterisk next to it. Set a base and build as the Lord provides. And you're giving. Now, kind of trying to figure out a way to sum all this up. Uh, the use of our the wealth that God has provided us is important. Uh, it, it reflects our relationship with God. Do we trust that He's going to provide for us? He says He's going to. I think of Romans chapter 8. You can go through all of that. I'm not going to this morning. But, but you know, the, the final thing is, is 8.28 where it says, you know, all things work together for the good. In other words, all these things about giving and being a part of it and all this stuff works together to the good of the person who believes and the purpose of his kingdom, you know, basically. And so we are intimately involved in what he has put before us as a part of his kingdom's work. Intimately involved. I'm not qualified, but through the Holy Spirit in me, I am a participant. And He is leading, guiding, and changing the way we look at the world. Hopefully, day by day. But certainly, and like most of us, I would fit into this category, in leaps. <laughs> valley, leap, valley, leap. <laughs> Uh, but, but the idea of being that we, we grow and we, all of a sudden we put these things together and you hear me say the phrase, oh, this goes with that. <laughs> and then you realize you heard 17 sermons over 30 years about that and just didn't get it. Um, Jesus has a, a statement. He says, what good is, is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? In other words, we're, if, if we're invited to participate in this, our soul is part of God's kingdom. We're, we're part of God's kingdom. If we choose, the, if, as many, many, and probably most of the people in the world, they choose to not want to be a part of it, you know, they would rather spend their time acquiring their goods and using it the way they want to. And, and it says we for, they forfeit their soul. Again, 80-year lifespan versus eternity. It shouldn't be a it, it, it should be a no-brainer. It wasn't for me until the Lord opened my eyes, and then I'm sitting there, and it's, I, it's like I, I say, I don't know how people get through this world, through this life without Christ and without His Word and stuff like that. And yet, before I was a Christian, I was an adult. I thought, you know, I was doing just fine. In fact. My comment was, who needs that? You know? But anyway, we see what God can do when He opens our eyes. 
One more thing I wanted to read, uh, it, it, well, to close with is, is, is uh, to be content with what God has given you. It is easy to look around and see what other people have and say, what did I do wrong that I don't have that? Or what did they do right? <laughs> you know, whatever. And, and it, you can sit around and look. Or you can turn around and quietly be grateful for what you do have. And, and God is, the interesting thing is, is that God is the creator of the rich and the poor. And he loves them both. He wants them in his kingdom both. Okay? And, and so the idea has nothing to do with, you know, it has to do with how God's plan to use you is and the people he wants you to touch and to reach. All of a sudden, again, you realize before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan that even included the works he wants you to do as his child in his kingdom. He thought this thing through. There's no mistakes. And you can turn around and start to realize, God has a purpose for me now in the position that I'm in with the resources that I have. Hang on just a second here. I'm trying to move ahead and tie this up. In the book of, of, of Romans, chapter 8, um, I look at just uh, verses 31 and 32. It says, What then shall we say to these things? Uh, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Meaning, all things that we need to accomplish His purpose. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If God is, it is God who justifies. Who is to who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, He was raised. Who is at the right hand of the God who indeed is interceding for us? You realize we can't lose when we're resting in Christ and His grace. He's interceding for us with the Father. He and the Father are one. <laughs> we, we, you know, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, drawing us in there. The, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, we, it's, it's an amazing picture. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, uh, for you... Uh, for your sake, we are, are, are being killed all the day long. 
we are regarded as sheep in the, uh, to be slaughtered. And that's more a reference to some things that Paul is referring to. No, uh, in all things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. At the time Paul was writing this, there were people in prison, there were people in arenas, there were people that being persecuted. There's, you know, and he's saying, we're, we're winning. And then you realize, how do you know that this is really how it works? And it's because Paul, Paul makes a real clear statement. He says, if I live, I live for Christ. But if I die, I gain, which means I win. So the world's best shot at me is to take my life, and I win. Now, death is not our friend. Don't ever misunderstand this. I've heard too many sermons are saying, death ushers the way in. Death is the enemy because death is a consequence of the fall and sin. But, as only God can do, He still turned it around in the sense that for us, there's no sting. There's no fear. It's lost its, its, its attack on us. And so if death comes at us, we'll say the, the worst thing that can happen is it'll take my physical life, but I win because I'd lose, I, I, I gain heaven. I'm already a part of the kingdom. I'm already part of that. So I, I can't lose. I only can win. So to live as Christ... Serve, be in awe of who He is, in fear of the Lord. All of those things we've been talking about. And to die is to win. And so, this is Christ. He died for us. Raised from the dead. Intercedes for us. He led the way. And we're to have the confidence that what He has promised to us, He can deliver because He's already done it. He died. He was raised. He's at the right hand of God and He's interceding for us. What a perfect time to just work into communion, I guess. I'd ask the ushers to come forward and to pass the communion out. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together.